Climate Conversations on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Dubai Holding, together for the good of tomorrow. I'm Helen Farmer. Great to have you with us for our Climate Conversations in association with Dubai Holding. We are looking to the creatures on today's episode in conversation with the director of the Dubai Turtle Rehabilitation Project in the aquarium at the Burj Al Arab Jumeirah. Barbara Lang-Lenton was on hand talking about why the ocean is so crucial to the future of our planet and the role that sea turtles play in it too, and looking to smaller creatures, the bees of the UAE. Speaking to the founder of the Beer Keeping Association here in Dubai, there might be surprise hives around the city, and why are they so crucial to the planet? Climate Conversations on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Dubai Holding, together for the good of tomorrow. I'm so delighted to welcome to the studio Barbara Langlanton. She is the director of the Aquarium and the Dubai Turtle Rehabilitation Project, the Burj Al Arab. I am so fascinated by your route to what sounds like a dream job. Where did your love of the planet and all creatures great and small start from? Oh, thank you, Helen, for having me You're and welcome. for your kind words. I'm a, well, I loved animals since I was very little and my father and his brothers are uh, competitive swimmers or were competitive swimmers. And so I've always been very attached to nature and the ocean or the water. And I guess that's where it came from. And uh, yeah. <laughs> You've, um, I've been to a couple of the turtle release programs that I've seen on the beach at the Burj Al Arab. And it is so emotional yes it is. it is it's a it's a beautiful thing you do we're going to hear a little bit more about the rehabilitation that you do before we get into the detail of what's happening here in the UAE I'd love it if we could kind of zoom out and I would, would you mind explaining the role the importance of the ocean when it comes to climate so the oceans are our lungs <laughs> and they are also the biggest carbon sink we have in the planet so the ocean produces more than half of the air we breathe and absorbs about 25% of all the greenhouse uh, emissions. Mm -hmm. And it also absorbs around 90% of the excess heat that we are producing through those emissions. So so it regulates temperature as well. It does, Not to ask a very basic question. I stopped science at GCSE, Barbara. How does it produce oxygen? It's mostly... uh, uh, photosynthetic creatures that live in the ocean. So those are like coastal and marine habitats, just mangroves and, and, re- and seagrass beds, uh, mm-hmm. but also a lot of planktonic algae. Um, it absorbs CO2 through that as well. Unfortunately, because of the excess emissions that we are having, the ocean is becoming more acid and hot, and that is having an impact on those creatures that are actually doing this photosynthesis. And so... We are limiting the buffering capacity of the ocean to fight climate change. I think we often overlook the importance of it in terms of, you know, there are some really key things that we're absolutely addressing to do with, you know, recycling and landfill and air quality and and many, you know, energy as well. But I feel like the ocean perhaps isn't talked about in, in a commensurate way to how important it is. Why do you think that might be? I guess that even though it covers like very large part of our planet, not everyone is so close to the ocean, no? and so um, uh, that's uh, and 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 I believe that people think that there is not much they can do personally to maybe help the oceans uh, thrive, mm-hmm. and, and that's a bit of a misconception because everything we do personally, like plastic waste or any other kind of pollution, air pollution, all of that is ending up in the ocean and is having all of those impacts. Uh, 
I would love to explore a little bit about the role that tourism plays in nature conservation because when we think about tourism and travel, I think of it as often being perhaps a bit of a negative to the environment, but are there opportunities for it to be Um, positive? There are. So nature-based tourism is a very rapid growing industry. It has a growth rate of around 15% globally um, because, uh, you know, we are more urbanized and the kind of works we do and the kind of life we live, we feel that when we are on vacation, we want to get closer to nature. And I think that that tourism has a very, especially coastal tourism, has a very important role to play on bringing people close to nature. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, uh, humans are creatures that we mostly care about the things that we have an emotional and personal connect- connection with. And so tourism needs to bring this connection back to nature. And But at the same time, because of this, tourism has a big responsibility as well. And uh, tourism is not only the operational part of it, is also the master planning of the tourist projects, uh, the construction stage and throughout operations. And I think specifically coastal tourism needs to be more sustainable, resilient, uh, take into consideration, obviously, uh, climate change and also assist in the very important task of restoring marine habitats and preserving biodiversity in the oceans. Barbara Langlanton is with us today. She's the director of the aquarium and the Dubai Turtle Rehabilitation Project at Burj Al Arab. Can we talk turtles? Absolutely. Tell us a a little bit about the the rehab work that you do and what that looks like under the waves, but also on dry land as well. So we started in 2004. So it's a very long standing project. Next year is our 20th year anniversary. Um, just because there was a need. And so uh, in cooperation with the Wildlife Protection Office, uh, we started bringing turtles in into Burj Al Arab because we had the first large aquarium with the facilities and the team to look after sick and injured sea turtles. And then uh, because of uh, engagement of the community through school visits that we have, uh, turtle release events, such as those that you have attended, and social media and also media presence in, in all of these events, people started to understand more and more uh, about the work we do and what to do if they find a sick or injured turtle. Mm-hmm. And so we started receiving higher numbers. And then when Jumeirah Al Nasim was built, it was master plan with turtle rehabilitation pools as part right of the, the design. Center. Right at the center of the hotel. So we have five lagoons that are connected to the ocean. And so the, pro- the way the project works is uh, we have... Uh, hotline 800 turtle that's 800 turtle (laughs) so cute I love it so so, say for example you are out snorkeling or you're out sailing and you do see and I, you know, I've seen Fatima Al-Kasmi's videos about yes. finding turtles with, you know, plastic yes. around their, um, you know, in their, in their mouth. And their there is a number you can call. Yes. And then ultimately provide the location information. So absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So that's 800 turtle. 800 turtle. I've, I've refrained from making a turtle pun, but that's totally amazing. <laughs> um, so tell us about what sea turtles do then to help maintain that ecosystem balance. Why are they a crucial creature? Well, all creatures have a very important role to play to, uh, to keep those ecosystems balanced. In the case of sea turtles, uh, we have, for example, green turtles that feed on seagrass. Seagrass is one of their biggest carbon sinks and they trim the grass so they keep it healthy. Oh. And also there is a lot of fish species that depends on that feeding behavior of the turtles to get their bits and pieces of seagrass as mm-hmm. well. Uh, hawksbill turtles, which are critically endangered because apart from all these other threats that sea turtles have, they are also hunted for their shell. 
Uh, they are born here in this part of the Gulf, and uh, they feed mostly on sponges, and sponges compete with corals for a space in the reefs. So they keep sponge growth at bay. They help coral reefs grow healthier, and around 25% of all marine biodiversity depends directly on coral reefs, specifically the fish that we eat as well. And, so and lastly, Barbara, for everyone listening today, what would you love everyone to do or change or try or adjust to think about our oceans first. Just go out, go to the beach, go surfing, go scuba diving, go swimming, go out on a boat and enjoy and, and get close to the ocean and then learn more about it and, and be part of it so that you feel connected to I it. I think yeah. that's exactly what I was about to say. It's about, you know, by feeling connected to it that we feel emotionally invested and then we just Correct. can't yes. help but care more. Barbara, thank you so much for your You're time. You're really welcome. Thanks for having um, me. It really is absolutely worth finding out more about the Dubai Turtle Rehabilitation Project. Lots happening throughout the calendar as well. And I do urge you to check out their Instagram because the... The release videos are really, really something special indeed. Climate Conversations on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Dubai Holding, together for the good of tomorrow just been talking about the importance of the ocean when it comes to acting as a climate control buffer and also the sea turtles too. Now we are going to a somewhat smaller creature and talking about the importance of bees and who better to ask than the founder and president of the Beekeepers Association here in the UAE. Zahira Nedrui is with us today. Um, I'm a bit disappointed you're not wearing a beekeeping outfit. Zahira, how are you? Hello, everyone. Thank you for uh, for hosting. Um, I could have. I you could've. should have. <laughs> I know we're on radio, but I think it would have added a little je ne sais quoi. Um, where did your love of bees come from? Tell us about the, the beginning of this passion. Well, it started about um, almost 10 years ago with my father-in-law in Berlin, who is a, um, a hobby beekeeper and always kept two beehives on his rooftop. And uh, my love of bees started not with the bees, but with the honey extraction uh, process. Um, I'm not very, I'm, I don't have a sweet tooth. I don't like honey so much. <laughs> but the process of um, extracting the honey, uh, inhaling and, and smelling all those scents of pollen, of, of propolis, of honey is uh, absolutely intoxicating. And um, I uh, loved that and I had enough to wait to go to Berlin to do it. So decided to uh, get my uh, own hives here in Dubai. I love this. Um, tell us a little bit about the association. What is, what is it all about? What's your mission with the Beekeepers Association here in the UAE? Well, um, when I, when I wanted to have those two hives, I couldn't find any information um, on internet or anywhere. Uh, no information about associations, about beekeepers, about suppliers. And um, I found it quite, um, how can I say, randomly and uh, through a gentleman who was keeping some uh, hives on his backyard. And he's the one who helped me buy my, uh, my first uh, beehives. And from then, um, quite naturally and quite organically, I came to the idea that there should be a platform. If I was one looking for this information, I'm mm -hmm. sure there are more people. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm, I'm a true believer in, in nonprofit and uh, decided to create this, uh, this uh, platform for people to 
to, to like a go-to place if you want to learn about bees and beekeeping. You don't have to be a beekeeper to, to contact us, just a, a bee enthusiast. And um, yeah, we do a lot of education. That's our main mission. So we have um, a few initiatives such as uh, school outreach, um, public workshops on the weekends and corporate um, <laughs> activities, etc. I mean, the popularity has absolutely exploded. And I know a number of people personally who have really availed of your services and your expertise. And now, you know, there's little pockets of hives all over all over Dubai, which I think is hugely exciting. We've seen it in hotels. We've seen it in even, you know, office buildings on the roof and, you know, families at home for children as well. Um, tell us a little bit about why you believe that bees are so crucial to the planet. Is it true that if they die, we die? This is true. Um, the bees are the major pollinators in, in, in the world. Yeah, There are other pollinators, but bees are considered the main pollinators and they're responsible for pollinating one third of, of the crops, which means that one, of out, uh, one out of three bites is pollinated by a bee. Yeah. So, um, yes, bee goes, <laughs> we, go. we go. And even before that stage, when we think about, you know, produce, things like apples that might seem, you know, well-priced could suddenly become a luxury, you know, product on the shelves. It's really interesting to think about the economics of what happens if our bees, you know, bees are, are threatened. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, bees and beekeeping is quite crucial to our um, environment, mm -hmm. to our ecosystem, to our own livelihood. And um, it provides, you know, economic opportunities around the world. Uh, you have a lot of um, populations that rely on, on bees and beekeeping for, for livelihood. And, um, yeah, and that could be di directly or indirectly when we think about farming and produce, exactly. we think about restaurants and supermarkets, we think about exactly. that trickle down to us as, we as have, consumers. We have a pretty fun slide when we go to schools and for children, when we do our presentation about the importance of bees, which I really like. It's, um, you know, that slide, it's pretty popular where you have a stall in a supermarket with bees and without bees and you see all the vegetables and fruits and, and then the without bees is barely nothing. Mm -hmm. So we show this to, to, to have an impact on, on children and they're like, meh. <laughs> Don't like vegetables anyway. <laughs> right. And then we move to another slide and we show no chocolate. And they're like, the eyes start opening. I'm like, no chocolate? Why? And I say, do you know where chocolate comes from? And they say, uh, yeah, it's from cocoa. And do you know what cocoa is? It's a seed. And do you know who pollinates that? A bee. So no bee, no chocolate. Like, wow. <laughs> Getting them in the emotional. And then comes another slide and we show kind of a happy meal with a, a, a no sign. And they're like, no happy meals either. And, they, and that's the big catastrophe for them. <laughs> so we tell them ketchup. Where do you think ketchup comes from? Tomatoes. Where do you think onions, you know, onion rings come from? Where do you think uh, cola comes from? And then we ask them, where do you think the beef comes from? And they're like, what? It's pollinated by bees? <laughs> and we're like, no, but what do you think a cow eats? Mm -hmm. and, and then we start, you know, planting that seed in their mind that it's all interlinked. It's all part of a, an ecosystem and, and bees are vital for that ecosystem. So here is today, founder and president of the Beekeepers Association, UAE. How are you participating in COP28? What have you got planned for the, for the coming months? So um, we wanted to 
raise awareness about the importance of bees in combating um, uh, climate change. Um, we consider bees as a bio uh, indicator. So what does this mean? Uh, bees give us hints about um, the health of our environment. I give you a, a very practical um, um, example. So um, we, as, as beekeepers, when we walk on the street or, or in the field, when we see flowers, we don't see flowers, we see bee food. Yeah? So we are very aware of uh, the blooming seasons. We understand when, um, when the, the flow, the nectar flow uh, happens. And um, we have noticed this past two years and most noticeably this year, for example, that the, the seasons completely shifted. You know, so um, um, the beekeepers find it a bit difficult to adjust. So they have to adapt to, to all these changes. And all this is a result of, of um, climate change. Um, um, honeys that were supposed to um, come on in like September, now we have to prepare for them in, in July. So um, there's a lot of uh, indications like that, that, that things are cha changing. And bees are bioindicators and beekeepers are, are, are the, the voice, if you wish, of, of that. Um, uh, another example, if I may, yeah. um, is um, I am originally from Algeria. A beautiful Mediterranean uh, country, and every time I, I go there on holidays uh, in summer or, or spring, I see all these flowers and, and, and these trees, and I and I think to myself, what a beautiful place for bees to to, to thrive, right? I see the flowers, I see the the, the trees, but then I learned uh, that for the past three four years, um, the the honey producers are not producing like half of what they used to, to, um, to produce because of the scarcity of nectar. So um, there is no water anymore on, on, in, in, in the lands. And, um, and, and this is a very important uh, indicator of the impact of, of uh, global warming and, and climate change on, on the whole Mediterranean uh, basin. And there is quite a few research that, that highlight this. I've had a number of questions for you to hear wow. on the text line. Uh, John wants to know, are carpenter bees part of the system? Absolutely. We have beautiful carpenter bees here. And I have actually a couple uh, that live in, in my garden on a bamboo stick. Oh, really? <laughs> you see them a lot on... Um, um, uh, <laughs> They, they look like beetles. They're mm -hmm. black, jet black, and uh, they, they usually forage in couples. They're solitary bees. They're not social bees like we know uh, of the mellifera species. And, uh, yeah, they, uh, they're very, very important for pollinating small flowers. Okay. Yeah. And question asking about what do you need if you want to have your own hive at home? That's probably... You're the perfect person to ask. Is this, is this a question you get a lot on the group? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I would say first, um, come and visit, you know, come and visit our, our bee garden. And we are located at the Sustainable City. We offer open days to the general public. And if you find yourself, you know, loving that, that uh, atmosphere, why don't you take um, a course? We offer courses for people with um, no experience in, in beekeeping, for novices. I, I would imagine that most people go f with absolutely no experience at all. Yeah. It's not something you can kind of dabble uh, Some in. people have already experience and they just want to a refresher. And to, wow. to, to tell you something interesting is that someone who is a beekeeper in, in Europe when he comes here in arid lands, it's a 
totally different practice. So for them, it's starting from scratch. So you get with us, you get a flavor of, of the local environment, how we do it in arid zones. And this is something, a subject that's very close to my heart and that we would like to touch on in, in COP28 and raise awareness about beekeeping in arid zones. And uh, if I may again, <laughs> there is um, a, a symposium happening in Fujairah on the 4th and the 5th of October. And there will be a lot of lectures on in, in this regard. So I invite you all to come and, and visit. So this is your chance, guys. It is beekeeperassociation.ae. There is a beekeeping course that runs over seven weeks. And, you know, as you said, alluded to earlier, school visits, outreach programs, education. Thank you so, so much to hear it. Really, really interesting. If you want to send me a bee emoji or the word bee, I will send you the website so you can find out more. On that website, you've got a beautiful quote from Gibran, Khalil Gibran saying, to the bee, the flower is the fountain of life. And to the flower, a bee is the messenger of love. Thank you so much for your time. Really, really interesting to think about what's happening on gardens and rooftops all over the city for the good of our planet. Climate Conversations on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Dubai Holding, together for the good of tomorrow.